Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks. My name is Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, here with our executive director, Jeremy. How you doing? Doing okay. Good, good. I, uh, I hope you are uh, looking forward to the next couple of weeks as much as I am. You know, we've been uh, we've been reading a lot of bills. Uh, of course, we are in a very exciting part of session. Uh, there's a lot going on, uh, especially when it comes to property tax relief. And uh, so, want to kind of talk about that? You want to give us a rundown of where we're at, Jeremy? Sure. So, of course, in the lead up to, I guess, really the beginning of this week. Uh, right. And, and we've written as much. It was kind of looking more and more like taxpayers weren't going to get uh, much property tax relief. Or if they did, it would be kind of more of the same. Right. Uh, that, that we've gotten in previous legislative cycles. Uh, but there was kind of a renewed breath of life. Of course, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. We don't know what's going to end up happening. Uh, but a renewed breath in life to kind of break the stalemate between the House and Senate and that the Senate Bill 3, which passed like almost two months ago, probably from the from the Texas Senate, uh, Senate Bill 3, which is a part of the larger property tax relief package from Dan Patrick, uh, now has a committee substitute, meaning it's kind of been revised a little bit since it passed the Senate um, and the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll get into the details of that, but it, it seems like it's kind of a fusion between the House and Senate approaches and that it has on one end, right, the homestead exemption increase. And then on another end, it includes the House version of the um, appraisal cap that are lowering the appraisal caps and applying it uh, to all real property that was included in House Bill 2. And so it's an interesting fusion of the mix. And then kind of more importantly, I think altogether, um, it seems like it means um, even though they're including the old property tax relief number still, um, it does in fact mean, assuming it passes right and goes through, that it would be um, more property tax relief for Texas taxpayers. So that's kind of where we're at. It's being heard, I believe, on the floor today, which would be Thursday, uh, the House floor. And so it's unknown what's going to what's gonna happen, assuming that it passes, um, whether the Senate accepts that, if this is the deal that was made or not, right, and, and what it looks like before the end of session, which is less than two weeks away. Yeah, I think overall, this is uh, really good for taxpayers, right? I mean, it's uh, the, the one thing that we've called them out on, of course, is the continued fuzzy math, right? Uh, which is is kind of uh, in one camp. It, I, I've I've tweeted and TFR has has really kind of shown a light on why do we continue to have to use this 5.3 old number to bolster numbers? I mean, the reality is, you know, 16.3 billion in property tax relief is really good, you know, uh, and there's there's really no complaints. Of course, we're always going to want more. And when we have a $33 billion surplus uh, and they've promised to give that money back to us, of course, we would expect that the vast majority of that uh, would come back. But $16.3 billion is a massive uh, tax cut. Now, um, the reason they're still using that number, right, is because, you know, at the beginning of session, we were uh, basically making the case that inflation adjusted largest property tax cut in history is $20 billion. They were kind of going ahead and using that 14.2 that was not adjusted for inflation. I think uh, there's been enough kind of kickback that they realize, oh, yeah, people aren't as dumb as we thought they are. 
Uh, and we've been adjusting our own our own pensions for inflation and all state agencies for inflation. And so maybe it should be the $20 billion number. And so when they introduced this sub, they got up to $16.3 billion. And so then they add in the $5.3 billion to make it $21.6 billion, which, of course, would get us over that inflationary bump. The only problem is that $5.3 billion is old compression from 2019. And so the real number is $16.3 billion. And so what we want to encourage them to do uh, on the floor Thursday day is to add another $4 billion. I mean, we still have, I would say anywhere between 15 to $20 billion has not been spent in that surplus that we have. They've spread a lot of it around, uh, but the money is just sitting there. Uh, the, probably the only thing that is preventing them from doing that is fears that they're going to break the constitutional spending limit. Uh, but uh, I haven't talked to one conservative, and when we've polled people, everyone is a-okay with them breaking the constitutional spending limit in order to provide significant property tax relief. And so, you know, I would say at bare minimum, we probably will see an amendment to increase that to get it actually over the historic level. And I think that would be a minimum expectation for them because uh, it's what they've promised. They promised the biggest historic, uh, you know, cut in history. And so we would expect them at minimum to be over $20 billion in new relief. Uh, what would be even better is if they uh, maybe moved up to Dan Patrick's fuzzy math number, right, which is $27 billion or $28 billion, which would be closer to that 90% of the surplus that we've been calling for really since uh, the interim period. And so we will see. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but uh, overall, uh, we're making improvements and we're moving the ball closer to the goal line. I think it's important to note two things, right? I mean, obviously, we're talking about whatever qualifies as the biggest property tax cut in Texas history, because that's what the governor is ta has talked about for, you know, almost nearly a year now, right? Um, he, he, of course, mentioned this, I, I don't know, way back in July, at least, I, I guess was the first time he'd mentioned that. And then, you know, I, obviously, he made it an emergency item. I think the odd sort of thing here, right, that the, if you're talking about the political calculus is that, Abbott thus far, as far as I could tell, has been reluctant to really favor any property tax approach. In fact, I think the only thing I could find is that he tweeted something over like a month ago, right, in support of all the plans, right, uh, thinking that those qualified. And so I don't want to parse hairs here, and I certainly don't want to tamper down. You know, this is definitely good news in the direction of being favorable to Texas taxpayers. But this still does not include a path to elimination, right? And I think it's important to note that, um, that, you know, yeah, like we might get tangible property tax relief, something we can feel at least compared to previous legislative sessions, but we're going to come back next legislative session and the session after that, right? And still be dealing with this issue. And I think the really, the, you know, the, I guess the worry, it, right, is that they had a historic opportunity this session to not only provide this relief, right, which it's, it appears they're at least doing in some capacity, but to also put us on a path to elimination. And thus far, they've been reluctant to do that. Yeah, agree there. And of course, this is something that Abbott said was his goal, right? You know, and we've played that clip over and over again. He said that his goal was to eliminate school property taxes so people can actually own their homes. Well, he's been completely silent on that. It was not in his uh, state of the state or his emergency items. Uh, none of the bills that uh, would have done that even got hearings this session. And so uh, it doesn't appear he was really being honest, or maybe he just doesn't care that much. He was just kind of saying that for campaign fodder. We don't know. I think, you know, the bigger, the bigger overall picture, when we look at the session and we look at how they've spent their money is we have 
passed a lot of corporate welfare and we have grown government massively. I think that's that's kind of the more concerning thing, right? Is yes, we're getting some, you know, a little bit thrown our way as far as property tax relief is concerned. But when we look at the sheer growth of government, whether it be the budget as a whole or things like HB5, uh, which is being um, dealt with in the Senate right now, it's it, which is a, a renewal of Chapter 313's um, it's concerning uh, the amount of subsidies, the amount of corporate welfare programs for whether it be, you know, these abatements for these uh, corporations that school districts are able to do through uh, this this new program in HB5 or music and Hollywood and just billions and billions of dollars in subsidies. Uh why would that not go back to the taxpayer when we have such a massive surplus? I think these are questions that we have to ask. And so uh, why don't you give us a rundown uh, now on, on HB5? Uh, I just mentioned it. It's over in the Senate right now. Uh, and I believe that there's a hearing uh, Thursday as well. So uh, kind of catch us up to where we're at in that process. Yeah. So, you know, listeners might recall, of course, we've talked about this several times before, but House Bill 5, which is the corporate welfare revival kind of act, as we've dubbed it, right, is the renewal for Chapter 313 tax abatement program. You can't call it that, uh, right? You're not allowed to call it that, but the largest corporate welfare program in Texas, right? Uh, the legislature let that die or end, uh, maybe reluctantly, last legislative session that ended in December of this year. Um, and, you know, Ever since that moment, you've had House leadership specifically talk about, you know, prioritizing a revival effort. And so that's what House Bill 5 is manifested into, is that that passed the House, I think, May 5th, so uh, almost two weeks ago. Um, now, I've uh, had a few amendments, uh, better provisions, right, to increase transparency, uh, to add a sunset date uh, that was, you know, a little slightly better, that sort of thing. But what has been unknown this entire time, right, is, okay, well, how is the Senate going to act on this, considering it was Dan Patrick, um, ultimately, that killed the renewal uh, effort last legislative session by by not considering it on Senate intent. I think there's a few things to note here when we talk about the committee process, right? So the Chapter 313 renewal legislation that was considered last legislative session passed out of the House, went through the Senate uh, Natural Resources and Economic Development Committee, actually passed out of that committee, uh, but was never actually right considered on the Senate intent calendar, right? Dan, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick killed it. Uh, this session, House Bill 5, is being heard in the Business and Commerce Committee uh, there in the Senate because the sponsor is State Senator Charles Schwartner, um, who chairs that committee. It's unknown, you know, on Thursday when they consider this bill, how quickly, if at all, I, I tend to probably say they'd pass it out of committee, right? And then whether Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick will act on it um, via the Senate intent calendar in the next, what is it, 12, 13 days or whatever it is before the final deadline. Um, if I'm going to put my prognostication hat on, I would assume that this does, in fact, pass, whether it's because Dan Patrick supports it or not. I think it maybe is something that's been horse traded right for something else in the other chamber. Um, you know, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer necessarily. Well, we won't know. I implore taxpayers to contact their lawmakers, especially senators on the committee, right, to let them know how they feel about this. But it does appear as if it is on the move. Now, whether it's on the move fast enough, I think, is the question. Yeah, I think you're you're accurate there because when when Patrick opposes something like gambling or the sports betting or even in past sessions constitutional carry, right? Now he didn't come out and say I oppose constitutional carry, but he came out and says, you know, the votes aren't there in the Senate, right? And when it comes to sports betting, when it comes to the casinos, he came out and said 
these are dead. We're not giving these a hearing, right? And so the fact he has not done that with HB5 is a very good signal that this is going to make it to the Senate floor and get a vote. Um, and typically in the Senate, and really in both chambers, statistically, if something makes it to the floor, it's very, very likely to pass. We're talking 90% or even 95% better chance that it's going to pass because uh, they simply usually don't bring things to the floor unless they've already kind of whipped the votes on it, right? And so I think ultimately it is going to come down to horse trading. It is going to come down to the House doing him some favors. Uh, we, you know, we could speculate what those are, but we're not in the back rooms. We don't know. Uh, but it does appear as though this has a very good chance of passing, which is bad news for taxpayers. Uh, and ultimately, uh, it's just going to grow government and it's going to make it harder for us uh, to eliminate property taxes, to reduce the size of government in future bienniums. And so hopefully, you know, maybe some senators are swayed by testimony uh, and don't vote this thing out, or maybe there's not enough votes on the floor. We will see. It's just sad that, you know, we've said many, many times that this thing is opposed in both political parties' platforms, right? But somehow this thing has has made it back from being, uh, you know, expired. And here we are about to pour billions more dollars over the next decade into more corporate welfare uh, and give abatements on property tax to corporations while taxpayers still languish and are kind of thrown trinkets. And so uh, a, a little disappointing, but yet again, we will see uh, what happens uh, as it gets to the floor now? Uh, one last uh, little bit, you know, Representative Harrison, who has been a really just a champion all session long for a number of different issues, uh, had a very interesting tweet uh, that I wanted to bring up. And essentially what he said was, you know, the, the legislature has one week left and we have still not passed education freedom, passed real border security, banned COVID mandates refocused energy market on reliable sources, banned taxpayer-funded lobbying, banned DEI in college, limited ex executive powers, eliminated property taxes. And of course, we like that last one, and I'm glad that he has mentioned that. No one else has come out and said any of this stuff. You know, uh, typically, you know, in the House, it's just this big love fest and how great feeling is and I expect here really soon, especially if they, you know, they get this uh, property tax that we're going to start hearing most conservative session in Texas history, these these kinds of things. Um, but it's refreshing to hear someone uh, just call it as it is. Right. Which there has been some good things, especially on social issues. Uh, this go round on on fiscal issues, not so much. It's been kind of a rough session, but it's refreshing to hear a representative just be honest uh, and and call things as as they are. Yeah, I mean, I obviously I, I wholeheartedly agree with the tweet as someone who, you know, we've sent out over it's like almost 400 vote notices. So we've we've certainly been reading the bills and we've kind of seen bills that have been prioritized. It is a shame that uh, these things that, that Representative Harrison notes, right, have not, especially when I think you arguably you could. You couldn't find a single conservative, you know, someone who's pro taxpayer in Texas that wouldn't support any of these things. Um, you know, I'm sure the polling on these is probably astronomically in favor of, of dealing with these these things as well. I think the really sad one I'd like to highlight there outside of the elimination of property taxes is he's right. The ban on uh, taxpayer funded lobbying that passed out of the Senate well over a month ago. And it's as it, as it has seemingly been late, you know, the last few legislative sessions has just languished and the 
House State Affairs Committee, which is unfortunate. That also is something that has bipartisan support. Um, I know, was it two, uh, two election cycles ago that you had the Republican Party of Texas have it as a ballot proposition passed overwhelmingly, it's like 95% of Republicans uh, support uh, banning the practice of taxpayer-funded lobbying. It was a legislative priority multiple times for the uh, state GOP party. It's just a shame that in a Republican-controlled legislature, that continues to be a hang-up or an issue uh, that lawmakers do not, at least specifically in the House, do not give serious consideration of um, overall. Yeah, I think, you know, one, one of the things worth mentioning is uh, the reason that I've been impressed with Harrison is he's been kind of unapologetic in how he's dealt with these issues. He's gone on, you know, mainstream media and said that he, he wants to abolish property taxes. Uh, and and typically, you know, when you see freshman lawmakers like that, they're usually they're usually not doing that right. They're kind of uh, trying to play play their cards the best way they can. Um, and, and he's been vocal enough. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't call him a, a tender hold or anything like that back at the back, Michael, all the time. But the fact that he's willing to call this stuff out when the vast majority of Republicans, including the Freedom Caucus, right, has been pretty silent on most issues. And I think uh, voters need to know this because when we elect people to office, you know, it's great if they vote the right way. And hey, we really appreciate it if you push the button the right way. But ultimately, to change policy, you have to be willing to kind of call out uh, what is not being done and kind of uh, go against the grain, right? And if you're not willing to be vocal and get on a microphone and tweet out things and go on, uh, you know, go into the press and say, hey, we're not doing these things that we promised we were going to do. We need a lot more people like that in the legislature. And so if if you have a rep and they're, you know, middle of the pack, you know, especially when it comes to the fiscal index, maybe they're a C or a B minus and they're just a quiet mouse and they just kind of go along to get along. These are not the type of people that we need in the legislature. And I highly encourage people to find candidates that are bold, that will that are not scared to go against the grain and that will call these things out uh, until we we have that atmosphere uh, in the legislature. We're going to continue with the status quo. We're going to continue to grow government uh, and everyone's going to go along to get along, hoping to have a seat at the table and pass a couple of bills. You know, we've had we've had conversations of, you know, it's been really quiet and everyone's kind of gone along to get along. But what did uh, folks like the Freedom Caucus get right from this. Sure, we passed some bills, right? But HB 20, Shaper's bill, dead, right? Border security, one of the major, major priorities of the legislative session. Will we call a special over it? I don't know. That's up to Abbott. Uh, but I think it just kind of shows that, you know, uh, going along to get along to have a seat at the table ultimately does not pay that well. You do not get dividends off of that. You might, you might, you know, get to put out some good press releases, but ultimately policy is not being changed and you're not affecting the size of governments uh, and, and you're not accomplishing what you want if you stay quiet. You need bold people who are willing to kind of rub people the wrong way sometimes. I mean, well said. I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone, right? Whether Republican, Democrat, conservative, progressive, right? Who thinks that the status quo, right, is good. And so it's kind of a weird thing that we elect folks and we continue to elect folks that are just milk toast at the end of the day, right? Like they just, they just, they are fine with the status quo and continuing the status quo. It is an odd dichotomy uh, that exists here in Texas politics. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. I think there's certainly a fervor around a lot of the issues, especially issues we care about, whether it be eliminating property tax or anything else. And so um, it'll be interesting to see what the next few cycles hold for sure. Absolutely. Well, we got uh, 
really less than two weeks or about two weeks left. Uh, Sani die is on Memorial Day, which I believe is the 29th of May. And so they're going to be scurrying, trying to get as much uh, past as possible. Now, I want to let everyone know that we will be releasing the 2023 Fiscal Responsibility Index near the end of June. Probably the week of the 19th is what we're shooting for. But of course, we're doing a lot of calculations. We're already starting to kind of look at it. But of course, we won't start doing the official kind of analysis until signy die. And so we are going to be tracking things like uh, vote changes that we haven't before. That's not going to affect the score necessarily, but we're going to put that out as a transparency. And then we have a lot of fun awards. So I do want to remind y'all, stay tuned. We will have, I think, two more Taxpayer Talks uh, broadcast before we end this season. Uh, and then we'll be back towards the end of June to release the index uh, and kind of give everyone our, our information we've accumulated. And hopefully it will help in campaign season as we head towards primaries in 2024. So we appreciate y'all being with us. Um, you know, Godspeed to everyone who is uh, working in legislative session, uh, eyeing that same uh, 29th that, that we are ready, ready to go take their vacations, I'm sure. Uh, so be back with us next Thursday. Of course, if you don't follow us on Twitter, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, we're here to be a resource for y'all. We appreciate y'all's time. Y'all have a good one.